Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. important decision you're going to make today? What's the most important decision you make every single day? Uh, It might be more than one decision, and it might be a decision that's not made fully in your head, but also in your heart. Um, The Christian life is uh, is a moment-by-moment acknowledgement, recognition, and submission to the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, seeking to bring us into greater conformity with who Christ is. Uh, that's it. That's that's so the decision, the most important decision that I make moment by moment, the most important decision that I make every day um, is a decision of the head and the heart to submit to God's presence and power in my life by the Holy Spirit of the living God like that. That's it. And so it's about a heart set. It's about a mindset. Um, if you want to think about it as a thinking thing, then the most important decision that uh, each of us will make today and every day is sort of the, the choice, the conscious choice of setting our minds uh, on things that are above. I'm, I'm thinking here of Colossians 3. But it's more than a mindset. It's also a heart set. It's a, it's a setting of the affections on things that are above, where Christ is. Because in this world, let me, uh, let me attest to the reality that there are a vast number of ideas, affections, loves, gods who are seeking to seize us in terms of uh, the thoughts of our minds, the affections of our hearts, the walking out of our will today. Like, right. It, there's a there's a real competition going on for your head and your heart right now. And today you are going to make moment by moment. Conscious or unconsciously, you are going to make decisions that are either for Christ or against him. That's it. You're, that, that's just the reality of life. Moment by moment today, you and I are going to make decisions in our heads and decisions in our hearts that walk out our life in, uh, in terms of where our mind and our heart is set. And so let me just encourage you right now, right now, make a commitment to set your mind and set your heart on things that are above. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 5 would be uh, where in the word I would encourage you to go before you go anywhere else. Let us set our hearts and minds on things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Let us submit. Let us submit joyfully to the work of the Holy Spirit right now in us operating in us right now. Let's joyfully submit, cooperate, agree to cooperate, yield to the work of the Holy Spirit that we might genuinely be the ambassadors of the king and the kingdom out there in the world that God so loves. It is a heart thing. It is uh, it is obviously a mind thing. I want us to have the mind of Christ on the matters of the day, but I want us to be walking it out there in the world in ways that honor Jesus. So, uh, that's where I want us to start. We are going to turn here in just a moment to a conversation with Dr. Linda Mental. Uh, she and I are going to talk about a range of things. Maybe my uh, most uh, interesting one here is they babies. 
I might not even be saying it right. They babies. What's a they baby? All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Linda Mental is here with me now. You can find her at Dr. Linda Mental. Uh-oh. Dot com, dot net. Help me out. Dot com. com. Yeah, Dr. Linda Mental dot com. You know, sometimes if I don't have it written down right in front of me, I'm yeah. doomed. Yes, there's quite a few dots. <laughs> with different, okay. different so, so some people call these babies. Other people call them they babies. Um, what's a baby or a they baby? Well, it's a new trend, um, and there have been a lot of stories in the news about, I call them they babies, just because it's they. They're not using the pronoun that is assigned to their um, sex at birth. So a boy or a girl, uh, these parents have made this decision that they're going to raise their children neutral uh, in terms of gender. They don't reveal the gender to their child. They don't talk about the gender. They don't associate their body parts with the gender. I think one of the most interesting stories I read, Carmen, was this couple that is um, convinced that this is the way to raise their child, and they will not allow their parents, which would be the baby's grandparents, to even bathe the child if they're babysitting or you know staying with the child, because then the grandparents, this is the thinking, that then the grandparents will know the gender and will be completely biased toward the baby and will influence them in ways that are obviously going to be negative. So the assumption here is, which I might want to say the reason I blogged on this is there's no scientific data around this, but it is a new trend. It's big in Hollywood. People are talking about it, getting news stories coverage on this, is that somehow if we raise babies gender neutral, they are going to grow up much better adjusted and not have a whole lot of problems. Because they won't be confused at all about who they are. Right. So they're going to grow up in a gendered Mm -hmm. world, being gender neutral and have to figure that out. Now, I'm coming at this as an academic and I'm looking at this and I'm looking at decades of child development. Um, And, you know, the, the thing that is really concerning to me is this whole notion that somehow the child will just choose his or her gender. So they're going to choose it at a very early age. And the part that is is really frustrating for me is that children do not have the abstract ability at a young age to choose anything that is an abstract concept. And so gender is something that's socially constructed. It's something that, you know, has to do with the social roles and how we deal with um, gender issues in our culture. They're not aware of that. They're not they're not able to abstractly think about that. They're very concrete thinkers at young ages. And so moral development takes time. uh, Cognitive development takes time. The brain is not capable of those kinds of decision makings. So what's happening is that adults are putting these ideas that they can deal with abstractly onto children, which developmentally they can't deal with these kinds of things. And then the second part of this that's concerning is that there's absolutely no data to show that if you do this, that somehow it's going to help the children. In fact, um, you know, one of the arguments is that this will somehow prevent suicides later in life and that somehow children will be better accepted. The best group that has really done good work on this is the American College of Pediatrics. And they have said there's no proof that this kind of affirmation prevents suicide in children. 
Okay, I, I will just admit to you that I, you know, I talk a lot about a lot of weird stuff on this show. Uh, and, um, and I rarely find myself searching for words and questions, but I find myself searching for words and questions because I'm, you know, I'm thinking this week about, gosh, it's time to get our annual physicals, um, for go back to school, sports physicals, sports teams, which are gendered, um, uh, boys and girls bathrooms in elementary school. Uh, the boys are going to go together to the, you know, to the bathroom after the cross country coach, make sure there's no men in there, like on and on and on. Like I, um, so this works theoretically, as long as you can keep everyone, including your own parents from changing a diaper or bathing a child. Um, but it doesn't work once you're living in the real world. What well, kind of isolation is required? I mean, does it work even if you do that? There's no, no. there's no data to show that it does that. So here's where I think it's really misguided. You know, there is so much that we know about early trauma in kids at what they're, what's called adverse childhood experiences. And there's a scale that has all these adverse experiences, including things like divorce and um, sexual abuse and all kinds of things that kids uh, experience as young children that have difficulties for them later on. And those difficulties often lead to confusion. And what's so sad about this is that there's just been this big assumption that somehow if we get gender neutral, that none of, no, none of those things has anything to do with gender confusion later on. It's only that we've stereotyped these, these children at an early age. So it's like we're not even looking at the real things that get in the way of children or, or begin to confuse children later on. And, and this has really become political, Carmen, because the leading authority in the country for years was a, a, a person named Dr. Kenneth Zucker. And he was one of the most uh, foremost authorities on gender issues in children. And he's been a lifelong advocate, actually, for gay and transgendered rights. However, as this is all kind of going around, and this is all related to this thing called gender dysphoria, where there's distress over your gender, you don't feel like you align with your biological sex, um, he saw that he kept saying the best way to help children is to align their gender identity with their anatomical sex. And he's been a, a supporter of gay rights and, and transgender ideas, but he lost his 30-year directorship of the Child, Youth, and Family Gender Identity Clinic at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto because he took this position. So he's worked with this pro, this population of gender dysphoria, uh, confused kids, what's going on. And the data shows that about 95% of these kids will begin to align with their, their, their anatomical sex eventually if you just do nothing. But confusion is, is kind of a normal adolescent thing. You're working on your identity through adolescence. That's normal. But what's happening here is that if you say that's normal to be confused and you don't start affirming somebody in a certain direction, then somehow you're doing harm to a child. And it's just not proven by the data. It's just another form of identity politics to stop conversations about what's really going on with kids, which is that it's more important to look at things like sexual abuse. When we have one in four children and uh, girls and one in six boys suffering from sexual abuse by the age of 18, and we've got 25 to 35 percent of those cases, percentage of those cases that actually happens before the age of seven, mm. I would be much more concerned about those issues affecting a person's gender identity or their their gender dissatisfaction than I would this strategy, which seems to be based on really 
a lot of political identity politics. Okay, Dr. Linda Mental and I have to take a break. Thank God. And um, <laughs> when when we come back, we're going to talk about pets and relationships. All right. So I'm 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 thinking this has to be an easier conversation. Pets and relationships up next with Dr. Linda Mental. We'll be right back. I am continuing my conversation with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at drlindamental.com. Mental is M-I-N-T-L-E. Um, and you've got a great piece posted here at drlindamental.com. If people go to the blog section, um, you've got this great piece about pets and relationships. So what does a pet tell you about a relationship? Now, let me warn you in advance. I want to have this conversation in the context of this new trend online called dog fishing. So just go ahead and tell me if you don't know what dog fishing is. I don't know what that is. What is that, Carmen? Okay. So let me just tell everybody, let me bring everybody up to speed all at once, because I think we need to know what dog fishing is as we move into this conversation about pets and relationships. So dog fishing, um, if you just type that into your Google search bar, you're going to see it's being covered today by ABC. It's being covered by The Guardian. It's a global trend um, where people pose with pets they do not own in order to attract other people on dating apps. And so people are posing with pets that we would find attractive, even if we wouldn't necessarily find the person attractive. We are attracted to the person because we think that pet is their pet, and a person who would have that kind of pet is the kind of person we'd be attracted to. And so let me just warn you, if you're on dating apps, dog fishing is a real thing, and you need to know about it. So um, that's my segue. That's my that's my um, uh, headline hook into my conversation with Dr. Linda Mental about pets and relationships. So what does a pet tell us? A real pet, a person who owns a real pet. What does that tell yeah. us about that person? So I just I just have to react to what you're saying, because th- that means you're starting any kind of interest in a relationship with someone who's dishonest. So it's all about dishonesty. So that's a yes, but but a person who knows what kind of bait to put out there. So I have a person who's like I don't know, crafty. Well, it's interesting because when I was doing the research for this blog, and I'll tell you, when I blog on pets, it's like the highest blogs. (laughs) So people have a lot of interest in their pets, and maybe it's because they're unconditionally, you know, they're they're animals that unconditionally love us. But uh, one of the things you do look at is how does a person, you know, how do they treat a pet? Because you can get some indicators really fast about how that person might be in a relationship. And it is interesting what you're saying. I'm going to have to go back and look at that and maybe write a blog on that because there are certain pets that look more attractive to some people and other pets that really turn people off. And one of the things that really gets people is the cat and dog difference. So mm-hmm. when I searched, it was all about the dogs. And there was a lot of problems with the cats in there. So there were people who either love cats or they are turned off by a relationship with somebody with cats. Now, that's not to diss any cat owners in the audience. Well, that's because now I'll show my bias. I don't think cat people have relationships. Uh Uh-oh, you better not say that. You're going to get a lot of email. (laughs) Here's my issue with cats. I think they're kind of passive aggressive. You know, they kind of slink around and they don't really, you don't really know what they're going to do. And sometimes they pounce on you. I can't figure them out psychologically, so I'm sticking with dogs. I've had dogs my whole life. So <laughs> but, in the Fowler in the Fowler clan, which is my yeah. family of origin, 
Yes. Uh, we don't like cats because gra- great grandmother. Uh, let's see. It wouldn't have been Fowler because it would have been. The, so I, I'm going to have to think about what her name would have been. Anyway, she tripped over a cat on the way down the farmhouse stairs and she really never genuinely like recovered all of her faculties after that. And so we have been an anti-cat people now for four generations. And so we have, at least in our family heritage, a reason, even if it's illogical, um, we have an anti-cat reason. Well, I'm allergic to them. So that's a there real big factor in this. And this is why I've always owned poodles because they're, they have the same dander as humans do. So they're, they're hypoallergenic. So I actually bring my dog into work. She's actually the comfort dog of the medical school. <laughs> so you're going to die. With you. But she's very uh, calm. And, and, you know, a lot of people have pets because they're, they're distracting from real life and they're stress relieving and they, they're unconditionally love you. So pets are great, but that's why you have to look at how somebody treats them. So one of the things that I always look at too, I tell, I tell people when they're in a relationship, if that pet is poorly trained, you might want to be looking at that as a precursor to how they might discipline your children. Because if they're not willing to do the, you know, the work at the beginning of taking your child maybe, or your pet to a dog obedience school or doing the work of, you know, making that pet obedient, that might be something you want to talk about in terms of future children. So that could be an indicator. So that's one of the things I talk about. I also talk about um, if they're just so obsessed with their pet that they're always talking about their pet. I think that's a red flag. Actually, I actually know somebody like this and he shows me pictures of his dogs all the time. And there's no I'm always like, do you do you interact with real people ever? Could what about those relationships? Can we talk a little bit more? It's all about the dog. So you might be in a position where you could be competing with an animal when you're dating somebody that's so focused. And then I think one of the other things you really look at, and this is this is really a serious point, is if somebody is abusing an animal or treating an animal poorly, you know, this is one of the markers of in kids conduct disorder. And later that goes into antisocial personality disorder. So that is really the one thing I would say legitimately you need to look at in a person. If they're cruel to animals, they don't treat their dog well, they're kicking it or slapping it or doing something, you know, that's an indication of somebody's temperament especially to an animal who isn't giving you much grief at all. They're just, they need to be trained um, and they need to be learned, taught how to be obedient. So that's a huge red flag. All right. I love it. This is actually an excellent post. You guys need to go read it. Uh, go to Dr. Men- I can say it. DrLindaMental.com. Mental is M-I-N-T-L-E and click on the blog. Um, she's got several really good ones posted there. We didn't actually get to the most recent one, uh, the one at the top of the list right now is, are you being taken advantage of? But we've covered uh, what does a pet tell you about a relationship, and we've also talked about babies. Um, and so lots of great stuff posted there at drlindamental.com. You can also hear her here on the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Thank you so much, Dr. Linda. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get back in touch with you soon. All right. Go hug your pet. Yeah, exactly. All right. We'll be right back here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, in just a minute, I am going to be talking with Dr. David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. I know that if you're a regular listener of this program, you look forward to this segment every single Monday. Um, He and I are going to be talking about the 11th week of protests in Hong Kong. Uh, If you are not aware, 1.7 million people participated in protests in Hong Kong this weekend. We're also going to talk about North Korea and the entire um, Israel versus Tlaib I don't know even what to call it, kerfuffle? All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
So a couple of times a year, we spend a few days uh, sharing stories with you of the ways in which this ministry here on Faith Radio has impacted the lives of you and fellow believers. And so if you have a story to share with us about how this ministry has impacted your life, uh, maybe how this program has helped you get off of the sidelines and into the conversations of the day in ways that honor Jesus, maybe a way in which uh, something you've heard uh, on Susie Larson or um, or Bill's program later in the day uh, has really touched you, captivated your heart, helped you in your walk of faith, changed your perspective on something, we'd actually love for you to share those stories with us prior to what we call Fall Share. So the week of September the 9th, um, we are going to be engaged in Fall Share, which means that between now and then, we'd love for you to share your impact testimonies with us so that we can turn around and share those with others, that they might be inspired to participate with us as a part of the Faith Radio Giving family or community. So share your share stories with us. You can email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. You can call 877-933-2484. Let us know how, uh, how this ministry has impacted your life in order that we can share that with others during Fall Share. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. How do you love an adult child who's making terrible life choices? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Suppose you learn your adult child is having an affair or she's convicted of shoplifting. What if your son starts using drugs or your daughter gets pregnant out of wedlock? These scenarios might sound crazy to you right now, but moms and dads all over the country face these shocking surprises every day. I hope you never find yourself in their situation, but if you do, Remember that God still calls us to embrace our sinful kids and offer them love and guidance and wisdom, even when they're adults. It's your compassion, not your rejection, that will guide your adult kids back to Him. No matter your disappointment, point the way back home. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. My name is Bond, James Bond. So Dr. David Aikman is here from Godspeed Magazine. Um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Aikman, we have a listener in Hartford, Connecticut, who wants us to know it's a nice day in Hartford. Is it a nice day where you are? Well, thank you. Yes, it is, actually. Uh, we're probably going to get some showers today, which usually happens anyway in the summer in Ireland. But it is very sunny and bright outside, so we're quite happy. Well, this listener um, set up the radio outside today on the patio, uh, looking forward to my conversation with you. So there you go. Great. Well, that's wonderful. I hope she has a lovely day all the day today. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I am uh, reading my my Twitter feed right now is specifically in relationship to Hong Kong, and this is what I'm reading. Uh, China continues its troop build-up, seeking to send a stark warning to Hong Kong. Twitter is displaying China-made ads attacking Hong Kong protesters. China's biggest propaganda agency is buying ads on Facebook and Twitter to smear protesters. Uh, China's propaganda machine is cranking it out against Hong Kong protesters. Uh, I mean, on and on and on. Um, it, it looks as if uh, in in response and 
in relationship to 1.7 million Hong Kongers taking to the streets this weekend. China is uh, now engaged just fully in, um, in gosh, what we would just call a media campaign to dispute their claims. Oh, absolutely. I mean, from the very beginning, they have not reported at all, honestly. I mean, people on the mainland of China have no idea that 1.7 million people were out continuing to protest yesterday because they just don't report the truth. And the fact is the Communist Party are terrified that these protests might become infectious and might stir up problems for them within China itself. So that's why they have to react very dismissively to them. All right. So um, when we when we think about what's going on in Hong Kong, again, you and I have we have talked over the last couple of weeks about our growing anxiety um, about what's happening there. Um, do you see any progress made maybe this past week that should give us any sense of hope? Um, I'm afraid not, uh, because the main objection of the Communist Party in Beijing is that there are people in Hong Kong, which is now technically part of China, who totally reject their system of government. And they don't want it in the mainland because having it in the mainland means that the mainland can constantly put pressure on Hong Kong to change its own system. And the one country, two systems policy is completely broken down. So I don't see any hope for the near future of a peaceful resolution. Hmm. Okay, well, let's make a a slight pivot. Um, Let's go from uh, Hong Kong and the issues China has there, and let's make a pivot to North Korea. Um, we haven't. You and I have not talked about North Korea in a number of weeks. So, um, just like for you to give us a sense of what's uh, what's going on there these days. Well, what's happened is that the North Koreans pulled out of um, talks with the South Koreans after the South Koreans continued to have joint military operations with the United States, which has been happening for the past. 50 or so years. And so that's put a heavy shadow over the whole of the United States-North Korea negotiations, added to which the North Koreans recently fired short-range missiles from their coast into the uh, Sea of Japan. They're basically threatening all of the parts of South Korea within range of these missiles and implying that they were still ready to project power against South Korea. And that's that's a little bit disturbing. So, David, um, um, when we look at the concerns of the globe, I think that the potential deterioration and global uh, I mean, the concern about global recession like that seems to be um, stirring, brewing on the horizon. So I'd like to take a break. And then when we come back, let's talk about some global economic issues. And then um, I'm hoping that you'll also reflect with us on 
wow, this like strange back and forth between uh, Israel and uh, two congresswomen here in the United States and then specifically uh, in relationship to um, uh, to Congresswoman Tlaib. So we will return to those conversations in just a moment with Dr. David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. Goodspeed Magazine will be here. We'll be right back. I'm smelling coffee. Birds are singing just outside. Here comes your mercy streaming in with the morning so returning to my conversation with Dr. David Aikman, Godspeed Magazine. I had it right the first time, but then as soon as it was out my mouth, I thought, well, maybe it's Goodspeed Magazine. And it is Godspeed Magazine. So it's all yes. good, yes. right, David? Yes, it is all good. I think we we have some very positive Christian news from all over the world. Well, amen. Absolutely. Um all right, so we are reading here in the United States. I don't know if you are reading the same thing uh, uh, across the pond, but we are reading that there are some signs of economic weakening or economic stress or recession on the horizon. Now, our president, Trump, has um, has said, no, there is no recession, and consumers here are um, burdened with wealth. Like, we are, we have so much cash. I, I will... I will say that um, I don't feel burdened with cash, but um, but but maybe some people do. So um, uh, tell us tell us what you see in terms of uh, prospects. Well, just tell us the stresses on economies in Europe, because we don't feel that or see that like we like we see and feel the economy here in the United States. Well, the American economy has done very well at- President Trump constantly reminds us. Uh, But there are some concerns because China's economy has definitely had a serious setback in in its growth rate. I mean, it's still growing, but at a much slower rate than it had done for the previous few decades. People are not as eager to invest in China as they once were. so if, if one element of the global economy, namely China, is tottering on sort of one and a half legs, um, there's going to be concern that the global economy may reflect that weakness. And that is causing a lot of uh, disturbance in the stock markets in Europe, the FTSE and so forth. So uh, we just have to watch. I Technically, of course, there's no recession in the U.S. because there hasn't been there hasn't there hasn't been two consecutive quarters of um, a, a downturn on the economy. But you know, eventually recessions, even small ones, do come around, and the possibility that this particular growth span may have gone on too long is causing a lot of people to get worried. Plus so the I just, fact that, uh, go sorry, ahead. Plus the, the German economy is really suffering quite a lot because the car manufacturers have not had much success. So I just want to remind everybody that, you know, economies do not just rise continually, that there are there are corrections that are important. There are also um, times when, you know, you you settle in um, in order that you can grow again. Um, And so I just, you know, for folks who 
who imagine that an economy in in one nation or globally is always a constant upward march, um, that's not reality. And so, um, you know, we ought to be people as Christians who are preparing to live in uh, in a time of less prosperity. Um, we ought always be living not only within our means, but we ought also always be people who are setting aside some in order to care for ourselves and others um, when that time comes. Um, that's so let me just encourage folks to uh, to be doing that. And if that means that you and I need to live more simply in order that other people might simply live, then that might be an encouragement for today as well. Um, Dr. Aikman, I'd love to, to pivot to this conversation about U.S. Uh, Representative uh, Rashida Tlaib. Uh, on Friday, we learned that she rejected an offer by Israel to let her travel to the West Bank. Um, this was uh, this was an ongoing story last week. It developed after you and I had the opportunity to talk last Monday. Um, but uh, Rashida Tlaib is a for those who are not aware, she's a Democrat in the House uh, U.S. House of Representatives. She has been critical of Israeli policy. Um, not only toward the Palestinians, but uh, but in other ways as well. Um, she was intending to make a visit to Israel, and after some back and forth, uh, the the Israeli government uh, determined to allow her to visit. But she then rejected that, saying that the uh, oppressive conditions quote would be humiliating were she to visit. Now. Um, I got to tell you, if I had a grandma living somewhere and I wanted to see her before she died, I'd probably do whatever uh, a host country required me to do in order to be be able to visit my uh, 90 plus year old grandma. But that is not the decision that this congresswoman made. Well, that that's true. But the point is that Jaid, uh the congresswoman, has been not only extremely critical of Israel, which you're perfectly entitled to be as a member of the House of Representatives, but she has been pushing for months for the BDS, the boycott, dis, uh, disinvestment and sanctions approach to Israel, essentially trying to destroy the Israeli economy. And she's made some very unflattering remarks or not unflattering, but quite honestly, dishonest remarks about the nature of the Israeli rule over the Palestinians. And uh, so in that respect, she's been quite prov- provocative to the Israeli government, who were willing to admit her initially, along with the other members of the squad, uh, but then President Trump persuaded them to renege on that. And so the the group as a whole were not allowed to go. Then she was given permission to go by the Israelis, but their conditions involved uh, that she would, while she was in Israel, she would not um, pursue the anti-Israeli political agenda, which is not too unfair a particular condition, but nevertheless, she rejected it completely. It's rather tragic that she can't be her grandmother, but uh, she could have avoided this situation if he'd spoken differently previously. Now, David, in your experience, um, a pro-Israel position has been uh, a, a bipartisan reality in in the U.S. Congress. It is interesting to me that this is becoming 
uh, a partisan concern. And I wonder how much of this is ultimately related to the 2020 cycle and and how we will see Democrats and Republicans appeal to Jewish voters in America. I'm sure you're right. I mean, the the overwhelming majority of Jews have voted Democratic in all previous elections. Most, I mean, sometimes more heavily than others, because Jews in the United States tend to be politically liberal, particularly on domestic policy, for understandable reasons. But now anti-Semitism has become an issue in relations between the United States and Israel and the Palestinians. And uh, there's some risk that the Democrats are making a mistake by not responding negatively or critically to some of the anti-Semitic comments of the the members of the squad, which includes Rashida Tlaib, the the Democratic Congresswoman. I I think they're taking a risk by not uh, making their positions on support of Israel clearer than they are. David Aikman, uh, thank you as always so much for bringing such clarity and wisdom to the conversations of the day. Friends, you can find him at Godspeed Magazine. Until next week, Dr. Aikman, uh, blessings upon you, my friend. Thank you very much, Carmen. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. So our listener in the uh, in the Hartford area is actually our friend with all the bears in Simsbury. So greetings to you in Simsbury, Connecticut this morning. Greetings to you in all of our live listening markets on the Faith Radio Network. Greetings to you who are listening, streaming online at MyFaithRadio.com and those who are listening on the Faith Radio app. Uh, during, um, during the program today, I got a, re- a request from uh, a listener in India. I'm going to share it with you. Uh, His name is Pastor Solomon. He is the pastor of a small church in India that has an orphanage. And he just simply asked today that we would be praying with and for him uh, and their ministry with orphans um, that that he is engaged in there. So prayers today for the global church Hyderabad and Pastor Solomon uh, in in that place. Hey, let's just remember the importance today of being the body of Christ and what that actually looks like and means. So what is it going to look like for you today to be an active member, connected to the head, under the under the lordship of Jesus Christ, connected to the head, but functioning properly and appropriately? You are a specific member of the body of Christ, and so maybe you're the eyes or the hands or the feet or, uh, or the mouth. Uh, maybe you're the funny bone. I don't know, but everybody has a part to play, a role to play. Maybe you're one of the more invisible parts. You're a part of the um, of the network of the way that the the gifts and uh, uh, and resources are distributed through the body, maybe you are a point of distribution for for those for those things in the body of Christ. Whatever your role is, play it today uh, that the body might be healthy and and walk out the faith in the world that God so loves. All right, friends, have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. 
That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.